This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuning in to the new TNN. Culture Addicts, welcome back to the new TNN podcast feed for a very, 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 very special edition of Junkman, the show here on the new TNN where we talk about movies. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is so special, so special here coming to you this weekend, the release of the film we're going to talk about today. It is Paramount Pictures, which is still weird to say to me, the Paramount Pictures big release of Scream. Six. Wow. Can't believe there are six Scream films. And normally here on Junkman, I curate films that, you know, I pretty much know are bad movies. I want to make something very clear. Uh, It might be a little different this go around. I'm using the Junkman brand, the established Junkman brand, because it's our cinematic discussion film, to talk about Scream 6. Now, I will be ultimately at the end of this show rendering a verdict. Is it junk or is it not? But I want to make something very clear. Like, I have no prior... Well, I had no preordained expectations of this film being bad. That's not why I'm doing this. So if you're a Scream 6 or a Scream fan, like, don't... Don't worry. This is not a show that's designed to take this movie to task. I'm just here to talk about it, review it, and what have you. And it's just, that's this is the vehicle, the, the entertainment-based vehicle that I'm using to talk about a modern film. It's, well, it's junk, man. All right, get down, get funky. And that's why I'm doing it. So don't worry. I'm not here to shit on Scream. I might shit on Scream. It just depends how, the, how good the movie was. Okay? Now, a bit of a warning spoilers are going to be forthcoming in this thing. There's no way to talk about a movie like this without spoilers, okay? Now, I do have a little bit of an introduction planned where we're going to talk about, like, the build-up to this movie and the franchise in general. Um, I will try not to slip anything in there, but then I'm going to be like, hey, right now I'm going to start talking about Scream 6, so get the fuck out of here if you haven't seen it. But once you get the fuck out of here if you haven't seen it, Come back and listen to it, because it's going to be a roaring good time. That being said, let's dive into Scream. So, I do have a love of this series, okay? As a matter of fact, this series is the franchise that got me to enjoy, slash respect, slash love, slashers. It's a lot of slashes that are going in there, but uh, when I was a youngster... So, also, hey, this is a side note. One of the reasons I'm doing this particularly is because Scream 6 is the first film, first theatrical released film that I've seen since I turned 40. Good Lord, I'm old. All right. But Scream 6, or Scream 6, Scream. Scream came out when I was fucking 13. No, I was, let's see here. Math. Yeah, was 13 years old when Scream came out, I think. 
Okay, carry the one. Yeah, 13. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. But it, I remember seeing it on Christmas break, so December of 1996. Now, I kind of saw it on a whim. A little bit of peek behind the curtain on old Johnny C. I will freely admit, as a youngster, like as a young youngster, okay? I'm talking like until I was like 10-ish or something like that. I kind of had a I was a bit of a weenie, okay? I didn't like scary movies. I had this unnatural fear of Jason Voorhees specifically uh, because I accidentally watched a Friday the 13th movie on TV when I was really young and the hockey mask freaked me the fuck out. Not to mention, the town where I grew up had a lake called Crystal Lake and I think when I was in like the third grade, there was a rumor going around the day after Halloween that the police had found Jason's mask in Crystal Lake. (laughs) Frightening. Frightening to a young Johnny C. Uh... But because of that, I stayed away from horror films. And when I saw Scream, what I loved about it so much was that not only was there a character, Jamie Kennedy's Randy, who loved movies and talked about movies during the movie, it felt like it took place in the quote-unquote real world. And it, you know, it basically uh, explained to me what metafiction is or what meta, that the concept of being meta is. And I love it for that. And it turned me on to Halloween because the Scream franchise respects and puts Halloween up on such a pedestal that it made me seek out all the Halloween films that were you know, created up until that time and I became a huge fan. And because I liked Halloween, I went back and watched the Friday the 13th films and can say safely to this day, without a shadow of a doubt, Jason Voorhees is my favorite masked slasher. So I went from fear to love. Thank you, Scream. Now... Uh, the last thing I loved about the original Scream was that I respected that it was a whodunit. That was cool. Because you always know who the bad guy is in these slasher films, and Scream flipped it, at least to me. I'm sure I'm sure some other, I'm sure there's some great slasher from the 80s I've never seen or haven't heard of that did the same thing. And I respect that, and I like that. I just, it's not popping into my brain, so I'm just talking about my personal experiences. Scream, you know, was was perfect to me. And I loved it. And I saw it with a group of friends, and we all enjoyed it. Blah, blah, blah. Now, Scream 2 came out a year later. And i got to tell you, folks, the pre-Christmas release calendar in 1997 was a who's who of theatrical experiences. Within the course of seven days, I saw three movies in the theater on Christmas break in 1997, and they were all fun. Let's start with the non-Scream 2s, but on the same day, Scream 2 was released. Also, the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies was released. And as a big fan of, like, popular culture and entertainment, I loved that the bad guy in Tomorrow Never Dies was the media. Not because I'm like, oh, the media is so bad, but just I love the idea of a Ted Turner slash Vince McMahon type mogul controlling the news and battling James Bond. Then I saw Scream 2 with a bunch of friends. Loved it. It was a rambunctious experience. I loved the cold open in the movie theater. It might be my favorite Scream cold opening of all time. Maybe until I saw Scream 6. I don't know. We'll talk about it. But uh, I want to specifically mention my Scream 2 experience. Packed theater. Rambunctious theater. Lots of fun. Lots of screaming. Lots of chattering. You know, I was just a year older. So nowadays I would hate a theater experience like that. Of, of like teenagers and shit but at the time it was fan-fucking-tastic um and scream 2 plays a lot into scream 6 so make sure 
you're up to date on Scream 2 before you see Scream 6. I remember seeing Scream 3 being really disappointed. And that's it. Scream 4 and Scream 5, I did not see theatrically. I caught them on video immediately as they were available because I wanted to see them. But as I got older, I just wasn't in the mindset of going out to see smaller pictures in the theater. You know, making the trip to the theater was reserved for big, big, big blockbusters. MCU, DC, Bond, stuff like that. You know, it's not good. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just shooting straight with you. All right. Now, that sort of, you know, wraps up my experiences theatrically with Scream. So Scream 6 was a return to theaters after seeing Scream 3. The big news about this movie before it came out, Neff Campbell. Neff Campbell gone. Not appearing in Scream 6 due to pay. And I get that and totally respect it. But I got to tell you, as soon as I read that news story way back when, earlier this year, then 2022 or whatever, I was like, eh, okay. Oh, actually, I want to make something very clear. I was two minds about it. Number one, I was like, you can't pay her. Seriously, I mean, she is sort of like the cornerstone of the franchise. It's kind of shitty that Paramount wouldn't give her a little bit more for the effort. That's too bad, and it's shitty. And, you know, needs to be rectified. Now, on the flip side, I was like, yeah, I'd say it's about time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm personally ready to move past Sidney Prescott. As a matter of fact, I was ready. You know, Scream 3 kind of tried to move past her. That was when she was, like, really busy and didn't want to come back, but she did come back. And then she came back in four, and it was all about her. And then she came back in five, and there wasn't enough time to get into the new characters in five because Nev was back. And I like Nev. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything bad. It's just that I was like, well, hey, maybe it's time to move back. We have an established cast of survivors that are coming back, and uh, let's see what this franchise can be without the Sydney Prescott baggage, if you will. Okay, what can the franchise be without focusing on her? Now, we did have Gail coming back, and that's fine. Courtney Cox, you know, uh, but but it, it wasn't it was not a draw for me. Okay, now, before we start talking about the actual picture, uh, the last big elephant in the room or the it's not elephant because it's bad. But the last big discussion point is Jenna Ortega coming back as Tara Carpenter. Uh, I see it as a great thing. I'm not, like, how do, how do I say this? I think Jen, I've only seen Jenna Ortega in Scream 5 and uh, the first couple episodes of Netflix's Wednesday. I know she was in a couple other horror films like X, I think, or uh, it doesn't matter because it's not really part of discussion. But it's kind of cool that she's coming, like, becoming like a big star in Hollywood because Scream has lucked into having her um, because... I'm not saying, like, you know, she's, like, the second coming of acting. I think she's great. Like, she's fine. She does a great job in this, and she does a good job in Scream 5. She was very entertaining as Wednesday. I've only watched, like, two episodes. It just It's not really my thing, but I appreciate that it's there. So I'm just happy that Scream, the Scream franchise has sort of gotten lucky to have, you know, a popular actress as a part of its new mythology. I just think that's a, good, a nice, fun thing for pop culture. It's kind of like... In Scream 2, like, I, I'm a big fan of Timothy Oliphant. I think he's really good. He's, you know, he's great in The Mandalore. Well, and the, and the things I'm going to name him in that I like, you're going to be like, that's not even his best work. But he was really funny in that zombie show on Netflix as the husband. 
Uh, he's great in The Mandalorian. I'm sure he's great on Justified. Justified just isn't my type of genre, but I'm sure he knocks it out of the park because he's Timothy Oliphant. I like him in Go as well. But I, I always think it's fun to be like, oh, look at that. Like, you know, you could if you like Timothy Oliphant, you could be like, oh, that he was he wasn't he the the killer in Scream Two? Like they just kind of lucked into it. You know, it's just it. It's fun. It's a cool little thing. I like that, you know, Jenna Ortega is also like, oh, yeah. Like, if she becomes a huge, massive, like, box office power, it's like, oh, yeah, we we had her in Scream and stuff like that. I don't know. But uh, all that being said, I think that's good for an introduction. Let's start talking about Scream 6, uh, how it felt, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And this is your final call. Uh, as Scott Hall would say, it's last call. Uh... Spoilers for Scream 6 start now. Oh my god, the butler did it! Who would have thought it? No, I'm kidding. The but- there is no butler. Just, you know, that was just... I'm just testing you. If you haven't seen it, go and come back now. Let's start, as most Scream films do, with the cold open. I like this cold open quite a fucking bit. Way to turn things on their head. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, I might go into a little bit more detail about this cold open than I do any other thing in the film. And for that, I apologize, but I think it's warranted. So, just to briefly cover the concept in play. A, a woman gets a telephone call while she's waiting at a bar for her Tinder date, okay? It is her Tinder date on the phone. He's lost in the big city, can't find his way. The woman gets drawn outside, brought into a dark alley where it's revealed that the Tinder date switches their voice over to the ghost face voice. What's your favorite scary movie? You know, that whole thing. I can't really do it. And then stabs the woman to death and then removes his mask in front of the camera to reveal the identity of the ghost face killer. Not, not the Wu-Tang member. The killer is, in fact, Flash Thompson from Marvel's Spider-Man trilogy. Also from uh, the Willow TV show. All right, I got to look. I know his name's like Tony Ravoli or something like that, and I don't want to mispronounce it because Ravoli sounds like it might be Ravioli, which is stereotypical. I'm not trying to do that. Uh, Scream 6, Wikipedia, save me. Scream 6, Wikipedia, save me. Tony Revolori, according to Wikipedia. I, You know, I like this guy quite a bit. I find him very funny as Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man trilogy. He gets a little annoying sometimes, but I really enjoyed him in Willow, and I really enjoy him in the brief time that he's in this movie. Now, to circle back, we, we covered in, in, you know, in very broad circles what the concept in play is. Now, let's get a little more specific. The woman is played by, I believe, Australian or New Zealand actress. Yeah, she's Australian. Samara Weaving, who I believe is the niece of Hugo Weaving, the Red Skull, Agent Smith, that elf guy, and amongst a lot of other things. But pop culture-wise, those are sort of his big hitters. And at first, I thought, is that Margot Robbie? Did they get Margot Robbie? Because they look a little bit alike. And then uh, Samara Weaving, God lover, is using her Australian accent. And I'm like, is that Margot Robbie? And then I was like, no, it's not Margot Robbie. But I didn't know it was Samara Weaving until the credits. I'm not too familiar with her work. And for that, Ms. Weaving, I apologize. But she did a good job in this. So she is a film professor at the university that the uh, core four 
you know, are attending. The survivors, uh, it's called Blackmore University. I don't, I don't know if it's a fictional university. It kind of sounds like one, but I could be wrong. And she's the film professor at Blackmore University. Tony, uh, or Flash, I'm just going to call Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson is one of her students. And it turns out that his, and I'm not sure if it's his roommate, his best friend, or his boyfriend. I guess it's really inconsequential um, to the rest of the narrative. But I got a feeling like they were very close. You know, and they'd known each other since like grade school, I think, is revealed. So what's in play here is that at Blackmore University, two film students who are either best friends or lovers and live together, have plotted before the movie started to kill the Carpenter sisters. Sam and Tara are two main female leads from Scream 5 that survived. Okay, Jenna Ortega and uh, her sister, Melissa Barrera. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I apologize, Melissa. Uh, Who is much better in this film than she is in Scream 5, I should mention. She gets a lot more time, all right? And... You know, it's crazy because the killer is revealed to us at the very beginning. Now, as soon as that mask came off, I had a feeling in in my head. I was like, all right, so this guy is is the kill of the cold open. Flash Thompson is because there's no way they're going to tell us who the killer is up top. And to make a very long story short, Flash Thompson goes home. His roommate calls him using the ghost face voice. And he's pissed like, dude, we promised we wouldn't ghost face each other. Cat and mouse conversation. Long story short, his boyfriend or roommate is in the fridge, dismembered, and another ghost face attacks Flash Thompson, kills him. Scream six. You know, the logo flashes on the screen in front of some skyscrapers to let us know that it's Ghostface takes Manhattan. Uh, much more efficient use of a big city in this movie than Jason takes Manhattan. Oh, Flash Thompson is watching Jason takes Manhattan as well. Which I don't t- don't tell me I didn't see it. I saw it. All right, it's there. Uh, well played by the individuals uh, in charge of this film. So what I like about this cold open is that I love the idea that not only is there the ghost face killers for Scream Six that will be revealed at the end, but this shit has gotten so out of control. That the cold open is Ghostface killing two other Ghostface who are trying to out-Ghostface him. It's fucking brilliant. Much better than the Scream 4 cold open, which is fucking gets worse every time I watch it. The movie within a movie within a movie. Ugh. That's probably my least favorite cold open. I don't know that this one is better than the Scream 2 cold open in the movie theater. Because I really love the Scream 2 cold open in the movie theater, even though it gets a little preachy at the end. Like, message! As Keaton Ivory Waynes would say at the end when no one's helping Jada Pickett Smith when she's dying. It's like, oh, are we so desensitized that we don't even recognize the real thing when it's happening? Message! And I get it. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. But I am saying it's very preachy. Um, which is fine. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're going to preach about something, that's not a bad thing to preach about. Like, hey, <laughs> America! Let's let's pay a little more attention here. But I this was pretty ingenious um, because the mask coming off of the killer when Flash Thompson is revealed definitely got a couple of what's or gasps. Not gasps like, <gasps> but a kind of like, what? Like people in the audience were like, is, is this happening? Or did he just take his mask off? So I uh, it worked. 
it worked. Now, I'm not like some sort of genius. As soon as he took the mask off, I was like, yeah, okay, this this guy's not the killer. And I don't think that's a big leap. Okay, but uh, well done. Just well fucking done. So the, the cold open, like I'm not going to go through this thing beat by beat. I know I kind of did the cold open, but I don't know. I, I, I can't remember everything like verbatim that happened. But what I want to get into now is sort of the overall concept of this sequel. Everybody from um, Woodsboro has gone to college here in New York. The twins, oh God, what are their names? Mindy and is it Chad? Chad and Mindy, Randy's niece and nephew, moved to New York City with Sam and Tara. Uh, By the way, special shout out to Montreal for being New York City in this film kind of disappointment but at least they're actually in the city the entire time now the three youngsters are attending blackmore university whereas the older sister samantha or sam is sort of just kind of like working her way through life trying to watch over tara and kind of being a stick in the mud to jenna ortega whenever she's trying to have fun she's overbearing she's overprotective etc etc why this whole we're in college thing is important is that while this is a sequel to scream 5 it's also sort of a light remake of scream 2 the kids are back in college um and and well the real big also connection i'm sure there's more that i missed i've only seen this once and i saw in the theater i wasn't taking notes the other big connection to scream 2 is not only college setting i'm sure there's more but also um the when the killers are revealed at the end there is a big connection to scream 2 conceptually okay um so we'll get into that when we get to it because i do want to save that for the end because i do think there's some necessary build up to get there both carpenter sisters are very fully realized here uh melissa barrera as sam is good she is a little i don't know there's a couple of scenes where sam kind of snaps at people um and I get she's like Billy Loomis's daughter, and I'm not a huge fan of her talking to Billy Loomis's ghost, even though I, I like Skeet Ulrich getting the work as Billy Loomis. Although he's getting a little older every time they do one of those flashbacks, so we need to maybe spend a little bit more more money on de-aging him. But uh, she is, you know, there's a couple of scenes where she kind of blows a gasket, and I didn't really f- believe it. Um, but Sam, since Scream 5 has happened, has been tr- is is an online pariah. She is... Uh, a lot of people online are accusing her of being the true mastermind of the Scream 5 killings. Uh, people on like Reddit and social media believe that she actually killed everyone because the public at large now lo- knows she's Billy Loomis's daughter and that she set up Amber and Richie, Jack Quaid and the gal who got set on fire at the end of Scream 5, uh, which is tremendous. Uh, we do get a little Jack Quaid cameo in this, playing re- playing Richie as like uh, him on a YouTube video, which I thought was nice. It's nice to see uh, Jack Quaid coming back. He's he's pretty good in the fifth one. Uh, I do like when he's revealed as the killer. Uh, I feel like he did a pretty good job. And I, um, you know, Jack Quaid is is in danger of being overexposed, but I like the boys, even though it's a little on the nose and i think he's good in that so i'm good with jack quaid being around for a little bit and i like that richie 
and Amber, to a lesser extent, have sort of left a legacy. Uh, nobody really talks about Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. Nobody talks about Roman, the director from 3. Nobody really talks about Jill and Charlie. Uh, now, the killers all get mentioned in this one, and we'll get to that. But I like that Richie has sort of left a a legacy that makes him an important scream killer as the franchise continues to move forward. Now, the twins here, Mindy and Chad, are great as they are in the fifth one. I mean, look, they're not changing the world with their performances, but they're both quite charming, okay? And they call themselves the core four. And Wade Barrett's like, oh, make sure you... I'm afraid I got some bad news for you, core four. If you put two R's in that, you're not going to be very successful. But there are some newcomers here as well. I'm just going to go through them briefly. First is Quinn. She is the sex-positive roommate of the Carpenter sisters. They found her online. She's the daughter of a character we'll talk about in a little bit later. I thought for sure that Quinn was played by the villain from 22 Jump Street. She is not. There's Annika, who is Mindy's girlfriend. Unfortunately, she doesn't have much character beyond that. There's Ethan, Chad's roommate who randomly was assigned as his roommate through the roommate lottery at Blackmore University. Uh, We meet most of these characters at a frat party where Sam and Tara get into an argument about whether or not Tara should fuck a rando. Uh, Playing Quinn's dad is Dermot Maroney, not Dylan McDermott, I might add. In the entire movie, I was like, is Dermot Maroney doing bad acting on purpose? He is! But we'll get there. But he is really bad in this movie, but it's at least excused. And then, our last new character is a character whose name I didn't bother to write down. He's the sexy guy across the street that everybody tells Sam to fuck. And spoiler alert, she's been fucking him since they moved to New York City. But it's Sam's new boyfriend, basically. Look, apparently the guy who plays the sexy guy across the street. You know, I'm going to look him up. Because I've already got Wikipedia up, and I might as well if I'm going to talk shit about him, okay? Oh, and I need to go back to Ethan, too. God damn it, but I'm going to stay with the sexy guy for now. Um, The sexy guy is played by Josh Segarra, okay? Apparently, this guy was in uh, Seahawk. I almost said She-Hulk as well, as one of the guys. Pug, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not trying to be a dick. This is one of the worst performances by an actor I've ever seen. At first, I saw this guy, and he starts acting, and I was like, wait a minute. Is this guy some kind of a rapper that I don't know about? Is he like a musician turned actor, and that's why he's so bad? Because at least that would excuse it. But this guy's a full-time actor, and he might be good in other stuff. He is embarrassingly bad in this film. Embarrassingly bad. Now, let's just go back to Ethan, Chad's roommate. He has a creepy look. He's got some red-ass hair, like myself. Now, every time this kid comes on screen, ladies and gentlemen, he's played by a a gentleman named Jack Champion. Okay? Now, if that name means anything to you, then that probably means that you've been one of the, like, trillions of people that have seen the film Avatar. The Way of Water, where this gentleman plays a character named Spider. I think he's a human, because he's wearing a gas mask in the trailers. I haven't seen The Way of Water, 
Okay, so I didn't know him from that. So I'm still looking at this kid. I didn't know he was an avatar. And every time I see it, I'm like, where do I fucking know this kid from? Ladies and gentlemen, this child or kid, well, I guess he's an adult now, but I know him from Avengers Endgame. Now you might say to yourself, you know, there aren't too many fucking extra characters in Avengers Endgame that aren't, you know, MCU actors. Who is he in Avengers Endgame? Now, I've watched Avengers Endgame quite a bit. I'm sure a lot of you have too. Who remembers the scene where Scott Lang, Paul Rudd, the Ant-Man, is walking around his old neighborhood and the neighborhood has gone to shit? As he's walking around, there's no one around, suddenly... A boy with red hair rides by on a bike. And Ant-Man's like, hey, kid, where is everybody? And the camera gets right in this kid's face, and he turns around and looks at him, and it's the he's got the creepiest look on his face ever. Like he's one of the children of the corn. Ladies and gentlemen, the creepy kid with red hair on the bike in Avengers Endgame is Ethan in Scream 6. And now you know where you've seen him before. Unbelievable! Now, rounding out some of the characters in this film, uh, and, and of the newcomers, I'm not really impressed with any of them. Um, Annika's not bad. She doesn't get a lot to do, um, but she has some really good scenes with Mindy that we'll talk about in just a moment where I felt her pain, so good on you. I'm. I, we talked about Dermot Moroni. Is he is he being bad on purpose? He is. The sexy guy across the street is one of the worst performances in the history of our sport. Quinn and Ethan, we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, Hayden Panettiere returns as Kirby from Scream 4. Now, I have a soft spot for Hayden Panettiere. I was a big fan of Heroes Season 1. I like Kingdom Hearts. So, yeah. I definitely am happy to see her back here. I know she's had some of the troubles, and that's not good. I'm glad to see her back on her feet. Like, you know, anybody that has the troubles, you know, get back on your feet and get back out there. So, a big, big, or as, you know, as wrestling commentator Taz would say, big ups to Hayden Pettitier for getting back on that horse. Cool. However, and I'm blaming the script a little bit here. Kirby returns as an FBI agent that specializes in ghostface murders. Well, I mean, are there that many active ghostface murders? How about she's just an FBI agent, first of all? But number two, and this isn't really the fault, but I, it's more the script. I don't know. I didn't really see Kirby doing this. It felt very jarring, but it has been years since we've seen her. So there's been a, enough time has passed for her to have gone to college and, you know, training and shit. Like, it's been enough time. She's like 30 years old, I think she says. Um, but at the same time, it felt jarring to have her here as like a person with, of authority, like an FBI agent. It just, it didn't quite gel with me. It's like if Jamie Kennedy would have come back and scream, like if he had survived Scream 2 and he came back in Scream 4 and was an FBI agent, I'd have been like, eh, eh, didn't really see that coming, but that's fine. But she's here to help out the, uh, you know, the college kids and the core four at various times. She's in, she's out of the movie, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Now, 
there's no and 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 you know, like I said, I that's sort of all the characters. We'll talk about Courtney Cox in just a moment because she comes back in, in a little bit. Um, but those are sort of the main characters, and there's a lot of them. And I hope you didn't get lost. Let's talk about some of the murder and mayhem that takes place in this film. I really like the scene in the bodega where Ghostface uses a shotgun. Before we talk about the shotgun, okay, um, I love that this is very reminiscent of the scene in Friday the 13th Part 8 where the teenagers run into the diner and they're like, oh my god, someone's, you gotta help us, someone's trying to kill us. And the waitress is like, welcome to New York. Because when they run into the bodega, they're like, you gotta help us, someone's trying to kill us. And some asshole's like, hey, there's a line, bitches. <laughs> and it just reminded me of that. Now, the owner of the bodega pulls out a shotgun to help Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrara, and that's a great thing. Help your fellow citizen, I suppose, if you have a licensed firearm. And that's, that being said, that's where Ghostface gets the shotgun. He kills the guy that owns the bodega and picks it up to use it, all right? So it's not like Ghostface is carrying around a shotgun, okay? Uh, but that being said, the scene with the shotgun was tremendous because it enabled the directors to block out a scene that was suspenseful in a different way because now Ghostface has a ranged weapon. Okay, and I thought this scene was very well done. It was tense, and I appreciated it. Plus, when the killer is revealed, it makes total sense that this ghost face would be comfortable using firearms. All right, so yeah, but the bodega scene is top notch. We then pause a little bit in the movie from Murder and Mayhem to do the big fran- the big talky talky scene on the college campus where Mindy, the new Randy, walks us through the rules of franchises. I like this scene a lot. The big takeaway from this being that when we're a franchise, this, you know, when we're this deep into a franchise now, everything is on the table. Anyone can die at any moment, even the final girls or the legacy characters and Ghostface or the killer is probably something that it's someone that we don't expect, and it's probably going to change everything as we know it. This scene in particular, I love. I love it a lot. These are always some of my favorite scenes, but it set an expectation that the big reveal at the end does not deliver upon, in my opinion. At one point, I think Kirby is talking to someone. Oh, well, that's it. when they get to the shrine, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, there is a there is a conversation about Stu, and Kirby's like, "Yeah, if you think he's if you think he's really dead." Now, I'm not saying I need Matthew Lillard to come back. I'm not on that team, but it made me think that okay, are they finally just going to bite the bullet and do it and bring back Stu at this go around? And that's not really the movie's fault. It's no fault of the actors portraying the killers when they're finally revealed that they're not Matthew Lillard. But I was expecting something bigger from the kill, killer reveal at the end. So, And that's going to weigh into how I feel about this movie in general. After the franchise talk, more things happen. Okay, uh, There's a tremendous big, 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 big murder scene where we lose a couple of main characters... And you've probably seen it in the trailers. It's the scene where they have to crawl across the ladder from apartment to apartment. There's no need to get into the ins and outs of it because you've already seen the movie. But I like this scene quite a bit. We lose Quinn. 
and we lose Annika. So we lose the new roommate, who is the daughter of Dermot Moroni, the police officer, who's in charge of the case investigating the uh, the two Ghostface killers and the film professor who were killed in the cold open. Also, whomever the actual Ghostface is, is framing Sam for those killings because they stole her driver's license and left it at the scene of the crime. So Dermot Moroni doesn't trust the Carpenter sisters, nor does a large portion of society. Um, he, of course, is heartbroken to discover his daughter Quinn has been killed. Quinn revealed earlier that she had a brother who died, and that's why she moved to New York. So now Dermot Moroni's character is at the end of his rung. He's lost both his children. He's been thrown off the case, but he teams up with the te- with the kidsters to hunt down the new ghost face because he is a cop out of control. Um, and now the sexy guy across the street, Sam's boyfriend, is with us as well. Ethan is absent from this scene, and they think he might be a prime suspect. Um, we then meet Gail. Gail is showing up at a couple of murder scenes. She's doing the police thing, or the police thing, the reporter thing. It, it turns out she wrote a book about what happened in Scream 5. And it's like, she's like, look, man, I mean, it was going to happen. Somebody was going to write a book about it. It's better it was me. I was there, and I'm going to tell the truth, which would be helpful for Sam. But, of course, they're pissed off. They do the bit where Jenna Ortega punches her as usual. It's nice to see Courtney Cox come back. We'll get to it. But eventually, Gail's big point is she leads us to the Ghostface Shrine. Through her investigations as a journalist, she's found that the two killers from the cold open kept a shrine in a warehouse in New York City where they have gathered up all of this paraphernalia from all five Scream films. They have the Ghostface robes of every killer that they've purchased from police officers and people over the years. Uh, he has the masks of each Ghostface killer. He's been leaving the masks at the crime scenes in reverse order. He leaves Richie's mask, and he leaves... Oh, what's Richie's partner's name? The girl who gets caught on fire's mask. He's been leaving Charlie and Jill's mask. He left Roman's mask. He eventually will leave Mickey Loomis and, and Mickey's mask around at the killings. So he's leaving the masks at the place. There's all sorts of shit here. There's people's varsity coats, the shirt that Billy was wearing when he died. They've got Billy's knife. I mean, they've got a lot of Easter eggs here, okay? Lots and lots of things. And this is, they have the TV that was dropped on Stu's head, and that's when Kirby talks about Stu. Yeah, if you think he's really dead, blah, blah, blah. This is Gail's main contribution to the film. She's fine, no problems. But eventually, Gail finally gets a phone call from Ghostface. And even the Ghostface killer's like, you know, Gail, we've never actually done this before. I think it's about time. And I was like, holy shit, that's right. I don't think Gail's ever talked to Ghostface. Does she in Scream 2? Who's on the phone with him in Scream 2 in the courtyard? Is it her? Yeah! She talks about Jennifer at no. Yeah, because he says, no, that's Dewey. Is it Dewey on the phone? I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. The movie tells us it is maybe it's not but the point is is that Ghostface and Gale have a pretty good fight okay and it it's really well booked to use wrestling because it's a very even fight but eventually Gale meets what should be her demise until we find out she there's a weak pulse so Courtney Cox can come back for the sequel this should have been her exit 
It's a really good scene. She has a great conversation with Ghostface. The fight is, like I said, it's well-booked. It's even. Um, she gets in some good licks. Ghostface gets in some good licks. I mean, it's a great way for the character to go. It should have been it. Um, so that's a big complaint I have with this movie. Um, I, you know, I'll be happy to see Courtney Cox come back again. That's fine. But I don't think you're going to give the character a better exit than this. And if it gets, and if she gets stale or she gets killed later and it's not as good, that's going to be a disappointment for the franchise as a whole. You had your moment in the sun to take out Gale, and you blew it. You didn't take advantage of it. I don't know. It feels like something they also may have changed in post, but I don't know. I could be wrong on that. I have no evidence, and I don't think the line where she finds a pulse is ADR. It might be. I don't know. It's irrelevant. Upon second viewing, though, I am going to check to see if people talk about Gale when they're looking at the camera, or if it's all done in ADR. So, more to come, I suppose, on the follow-up. And after Gale's attack, that's when the Core Four and the newcomer creepy kid from Avengers Endgame, Dermot Moroni and Kirby are all like, you know what? Enough is enough, and it's time for a change. Let's actually see if we can set up a you know, like, uh, if we can use ourselves as bait to lure Ghostface in. Now, I like this. I'd like it even more if they were doing it in response to the fact that they just lost a longtime cast member like Gail Weathers. But that's fine. It is what it is. And what they're going to do is Kirby is going to head to the Shrine of Ghostface paraphernalia, which is a great third-act location. And she's going to set it up as a trap! God, can you imagine Admiral Akbar as a ghost face? And he like rips off his mask like, Other ghost face, don't go in there. It's a trap. I mean, it could happen, right? I mean, these these movies are getting pretty meta and self-aware. I guess you never know. Now, what I like about this whole let's go set up the shrine scenario is that Kirby's doing it and the core four and Ethan, the creepy kid from Avengers Endgame, have to get to the shrine. They have to get on the subway and make it 10 stops. Now, one thing I haven't mentioned this entire time, and I can't believe it's taken me this long, is that it's Halloween weekend, by the way. So lots of people in New York City are walking around in costumes, and this subway scene, I mean, you've seen it in the trailer. What happens is that Mindy and Ethan get separated and have to go on the next train, but... uh, Oh, the other twin, Chad, and Tara, and Sam, and someone else, I think, are on the first train, all right? And, of course, everybody on the train is in a mask because we're all going to Halloween parties. There's a shit ton of ghost face. There's a Jason. There's a pinhead. I'm sure there's tons of shit that I didn't catch up. This is like an Easter egg dream, okay? So I am excited. Not excited, but, like, you know, when it comes out on video on streaming, I'll I'll purchase it and then rewatch it and be like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. So there's a lot of fun here to be had, and it creates a lot of suspense. On the second train... Mindy is trying to keep distance from Ethan because, you know, she's the she's the movie nerd. She knows that Ethan is the prime suspect at this point. And Ethan's like, hey, why are you going away from me? Like this kid. I mean, he does a good job playing this character. Uh, he plays creepy nerdy kid really well. Uh, he's a virgin, you know. He's like, oh, I don't want to die a virgin earlier. And they all give him shit for that. So, I mean, there's no wrong with being a virgin. I'm just saying, like, well, I mean, at certain points, I suppose there is. But that's... 
That's a conversation I'm actually not prepared to have. So let's just keep talking about Scream 6. The subway sequence is awesome. It really is. You want to know what my one problem with the subway sequence is? Even though I don't want to lose her at all, Mindy gets stabbed. She gets stabbed deep. And I think Ghostface even like lifts her using the knife. Mindy should be Mindy should be dead. She should be dead. She does not die here. And it's the first attack after Gale, who is also not dead and should be dead. This trend will continue, ladies and gentlemen. But I really thought Mindy should be dead here. Now we're back at the shrine. You know, we're all there. Well, Mindy and Ethan aren't there. And we're kind of walking around, getting our bearings. Uh, At this point, I should mention Sam is drawn towards the glass case that has Billy Loomis's ghost face robe in it and the knife. And we do, she, she talks to Skeet Ulrich a couple times in this movie, and both times she does it, she's staring into the glass reflection of this case and looking at his robe. Uh, her daddy, Billy Loomis, tells her to take the knife. She does, so she's got a weapon. Uh, Dermot Moroni calls Sam and is like, hey, I thought Kirby had been acting kind of weird. I raised my hand. I was like, oh, yeah, me too. He says, Kirby was dismissed from the FBI two months ago for strange behavior, and she's Ghostface. And as soon as Sam hangs up, Ghostface attacks, and I'm like, okay. in they're, what, what we don't know at this point is that they're gaslighting us. Kirby is not one of the Ghostface. However... There's a brief two to three minute period where Ghostface is attacking Sam and Tara and you don't, or excuse me, Sam, and you don't know it's not Kirby. And I thought it was Kirby and I was like, okay, no wonder Hayden Panettiere's performance has been so off. She's Ghostface. And okay, that works for me. While Sam's getting chased around, and I could have the order of operations here wrong, it doesn't matter, but here's the thing. Uh... Tara and Chad in this movie have been sort of flirting pretty hardcore. They have a great moment where they're in the shrine movie theater because the shrine is an old movie theater. They're near like the concession stand and they are they act like they're going to kiss and they don't kiss and then finally they kiss and they kiss hardcore. Like not, you know, it's like a passionate kiss and it's like, all right, yeah, way to go, kids. You find each other in the, all these terrible circumstances, you know, something positive coming out of something negative. And then Ghostface attacks them both. Chad makes the sacrifice play. And one of my favorite scream moments of all time happens right here. As Jenna Ortega watches on, Chad is fighting Ghostface. And it looks like Chad might get the upper hand when out of nowhere, the second Ghostface comes out. Now, we've seen multiple Ghostface killers a thousand times. However, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time in Scream we've ever seen both of the killers kill someone together full costume. Like, we saw Billy and Stu together after they revealed themselves, but they both didn't have costumes on. Mickey took his mask off and ripped his robe off and was just wearing his, his street clothes. And then Mrs. Loomis came out in her, like, news reporter suit. No double ghost face. 
Roman was the only ghost face. I'm pretty sure Jill... No, Charlie yanked off his ghost... No, I think they both were uncostumed when they revealed themselves. Um, and both Killers and Scream 5 were unghost faced when they revealed themselves. Okay? So, both of the ghost face stabbed the shit out of Chad. Dude should absolutely be dead. And they, like, double-team him. Like, one's holding him and the other's stabbing. And they're both stabbing. And then Chad falls dead. Finger quotes. And both Ghostface turn around and in unison clean the blade. It's very pro-wrestling and I'm very fucking here for it. Dermot Moroni runs in and he's like, Hey! Freeze! And he fires. He's firing at Kirby who's behind Sam and Tara with a gun. Kirby's down for the count, not dead. Dermot Moroni walks in a little bit further, and folks, now it's time for the reveal as the two Ghostface unmask themselves, and the killers are Ethan from Avengers Endgame, Quinn who died way back in the ladder match. And, wait, Dermot Moroni's a ghost face too? Wait, there's three ghost face? So, let's just pause here, okay? So, when they were revealed as the killers, I was like, okay, there's three. That's something new. I was like, wait, is there going to be somebody else though? Like, has there been another ghost face behind the scenes, maybe? I was kind of hoping for Stu, okay? I have to admit. I was hoping for something that changed the franchise forever. So, I will say, the when the three characters were revealed as the ghost face killers, I said to myself, well, at least they did three. That's new. I was like, but these characters are not interesting to me. And this at least explains away why Dermot Moroni's performance was so bad. He was acting on top of acting on top of acting. But here's the big kicker, all right? It's a family affair. Calling back to Scream 2, where Mrs. Loomis was the second killer. This one, again, is all about family. Because Scream 6 is Scream 5's Scream 2. So Dermot Moroni is... Richie's dad. So swapping out mommy for daddy. Richie, of course, is Jack Quaid, the killer from Five. And Quinn and Ethan are his younger brother and sister. So they're, they're, so they're, you know, Quinn is Ethan's sister. And their dad is Dermot Moroni. And their older brother, Jack Quaid, is dead because he was the killer in Scream Five. I like it. I do like it. In the moment, though, in the moment, I was like, damn, that's it? I can't explain it. I think it's probably going to get better upon re- repeat viewings without the expectations weighing up against the reveal. But hey, not too bad. And then the boss fight starts. We get some good moments with the killers chasing the different teens. Uh, there's a badass moment where Sam has to drop Tara and they both have weapons. And they both fight Quinn and Ethan. It's pretty cool. 
Um, eventually, you know, Tara kills Ethan. She's like, looks like you're going to die a virgin and kill stabs him, I think. Um, and then Quinn gets shot by Kirby, I think, or Sam. It, it doesn't matter. But both of the kid killers die. And so Dermot Maroney is left all alone. I think him and Sam tackle each other and they fall over a balcony and he wakes up all alone. Badass moment. Ghostface attacks Dermot Maroney. Ghostface yanks off his mask and it's Sam. She's fully embraced the Billy Loomis of it all. Like that's what the movie's been leading to. And Tara's like, "Um, are we going to kill him? Yeah, let's kill him. Jenna Ortega gives the go-ahead, and Sam kills Dermot Maroney. And when I say she kills him, she stabs him like 146 times. It's pretty glorious. Uh, One thing I didn't mention is earlier, she had told her therapist in the movie that when she killed Richie, it it started off as self-defense, but then once she started, like, stabbing him, she really enjoyed it quite a bit. So, yeah. But the movie basically ends with reveals, because Mindy shows up, She's not going to die. Tara is sad that Chad is dead. Chad gets reeled out on a stretcher, and he's like, Hey, guys, I'm okay. Gives the thumbs up because, you know, they're all members of the core four. So not a lot of consequences, which is, I will admit, a bit of a disappointment. But the Act 3 finale is good. Kirby survives her gunshot as well. Kirby gets back in at the fight a couple times, but I, I I don't know, like... I can't remember specifics, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but she's a part of Act 3, too, so... Ooh, excuse me. (laughs) Hiccup. Uh, So, you know, it's a a good finish. I think the reveal works different. Like like I said, uh, I heard some people gasping, like, when he's like, yes, uh, Richie was my son, and people are like, (gasps) you know, and, and like, I, I liked it. Like, I want to make something very clear. Like, I liked it. I just was hoping for, like, a big reveal. It's like, you know, you're watching a wrestling show, and the thing... It's like, you know, if Cody Rhodes came out to fight Seth Rollins, we were all happy, but we all knew it was going to happen, you know? If they had, like... If suddenly Kenny Omega came out, and he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to make it a triple threat, it's like, oh, shit! You know, like, that's the icing on the cake. I I was just hoping for something a little extra, and that's okay. But Sam decides to move forward with the core four. She has Billy Loomis's original mask. That's the mask she put on to kill Dermot Maroney. And there's a whole whole thing about how they want to, like, Dermot Maroney believes that Sam didn't kill Richie as a setup. Like, they all know that Richie went insane and killed them. Uh, but they want to finish his movie, and they're the ones that started the conspiracy theory. La, la, la. No, no, they didn't start the conspiracy theory, but I can't remember if they did or not. Um, but Sam decides to leave Billy Loomis's ghost face mask in the streets, lay it on the ground, and move forward to hopefully another sequel, but if for nothing else, towards her own future. The credits roll. The credits end for the first ever Scream series post credit scene. Mindy says, not every movie needs to have a post credit scene, and then it ends. I was a little bummed because I had heard it had a post credit scene, but then I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. So, yeah, it's it's a good experience. Here's the, here's the bottom fucking line. I have spent the last X amount of years of my life just going to see, like, Marvel movies and big blockbuster expensive movies. And not that Scream 6 isn't a blockbuster, but it's a very 
safe, I'll wait for DVD or I'll wait for streaming type of movie. I didn't want to do that because I thought the fact that nobody spoiled Scream 5 for me was just dumb luck. I was like, I'm for sure going to get spoiled on Scream 6 some way, somehow, you know? And uh, I was like, I have to see it in theaters, and I'm really glad that I did. Is it perfect? No, of course not. No movie's perfect. Is it junk? Absolutely not. It's a good time. I'm super glad I went to see it, and I think you'll have a good time. If you like Scream, I think there's no way you can't have a good time, period. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you my sort of ranking of the Scream films based on this first viewing of Scream 6. Then I'm going to give my final score for Scream 6 based on the pros and cons and wrap us all up. Now, this is really... I want to do this quick because there's, you know, ranking Screams as a whole other podcast. Scream 3, I think, is the worst. Scream 4 is next. However, I want to make it very clear. Like, I don't... I, don't, I really kind of don't like Scream 3. The rest of them, I all like. I think they're all good and worthy additions to Scream. I think Scream 4 has maybe one of the best killer reveals. Uh, uh, Emma Roberts. Like, I, and she's great. Like, I love how she, like, beats herself up. Like, not just because it's funny, but because I think it's really interesting and goes to show that she's psychotic and she's willing to do whatever it takes. And it goes with her master plan. Uh, so I really like Scream 4. The fact that it's ranked 5th, don't let that dissuade you or make you think I don't like it. Now, Scream 5, I'm ranking next. Uh, you'll notice I haven't hit Scream 6 yet. Scream 5, I think, I think Scream 5 and Scream 6 are almost equal, but Scream 5 focuses too much on the legacy characters, and the next movie on the list is Scream 6 because it's a better version of 5, because we get to spend all our time with the new characters. Courtney Cox is in Scream 6, obviously. Her screen time is very limited, and the one action scene she has, like the most she's on screen is when she's dealing with Ghostface, and that's a top Ghostface scene in the entire series. So, great use of legacy in Scream 6. So, my number, you know, Scream 6 is above 5. I'm giving, like, I know a lot of people don't like Scream 2. I... I love Scream 2, so that's the the you know number two, and then Scream is number one. So real quick, best to worst, Scream, Scream 2, Scream 6, Scream 5, Scream 4, Scream 3. Now, let's give Scream 6 a wrap-up, shall we? The pros, strong returning cast. Okay, I really liked the core four, as they call themselves, Sam and Tara, the Carpenter sisters, get a whole hell of a lot more to do, and they firmly establish themselves as the main characters in the Scream franchise moving forward. Jenna Ortega is great! She's got a lot of range, she's funny, and the fact that she's here does nothing but bolster this film's uh, Q score or reputation. I'm sorry, like, for right or wrong. That's how Hollywood and pop culture works. So I'm all for it. Uh, another pro, it's a low-key Scream 2 sequel. and Or Scream 2 remake in certain ways. And like I said, it's a low-key though. And, and that goes miles for me. I love it. Uh, another pro, the urban setting. Jason takes Manhattan. This is not, okay? 
I know they filmed it in Montreal, but they're in cities with skyscrapers, dark alleys, bodegas, subway, the whole time. All right? They're in the city, period. And it works, 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 works. Another pro? Lots of pros here, huh? All-time great cold open, in my opinion. I don't know where it ranks. I know no one could possibly, you know, putting anything over the Drew Barrymore cold open is like sacrilegious, so... You know, are Jada Pinkett-Smith and uh, Flash Thompson fighting for number two? I think at this point they might be. I think they might be. And then the last pro, this movie proves the series can move forward without Sidney Prescott having anything to do with it. All right? The the legend of Ghostface and... Um, and that's another thing, too. This wasn't on my list, but like Ghostface really felt like more important this go-around. Kind of like Freddy and Jason. Like, actually, that's kind of interesting because Sydney has always been the main character. And now, while Sam is firmly the main character and Tara, like, Ghostface is also kind of the main character. Like, and I think that's a good thing for Scream moving forward. So, yeah, this, this series can handle its own without Sydney Prescott. It's not a problem at all. Now, the cons, not nearly as many, but I think it's important to merit them. Jenna Ortega and her character Tara are so important to the Scream narrative at this point in time. What happens, I wonder, if they can't get her to come back? Like, if her star really gets even bigger, what's it going to take, not only financially, but with her schedule, to get her back on set for Scream 7 Will it be possible, or is she going to be too busy filming Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian? Yep. Yep. Uh, another con, Hayden Panettiere's return, underwhelming. And that's unfortunate, because I like her and I like uh, Kirby. Next con, kill somebody, will ya? Both of the twins and Gale survive attacks that should clearly kill them. And I'm okay with the twins, because one of the gags in Scream 5 was that Chad survived like a brutal stabbing, so whatever. I guess you could make that his gimmick. Um, But you're, like I said, I said it ad nauseum, I'm going to repeat it one more time. You missed the opportunity to kill Gale with dignity, if that is such a thing. You know, it's a fictional thing. Uh, You missed your best opportunity to kill Gale. It's like Flair coming back for a match after WrestleMania 24, okay? All you're doing is ruining the great shit that you got at WrestleMania 24. Bottom fucking line, okay? And the final con, the killer reveal didn't live up to the potential based on what I thought the franchise was setting up as some sort of crazy, cosmic, revelatory, game-changing thing. Now, that's on me. But I do think the script helped me get that expectation. Overall, out of 10, which I normally don't rank things on Junkman, but when I do movie reviews over on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, I always give it a number. I give this movie a very strong 7 out of 10. A very strong 7, okay? Um, it's, you know, I try to do these things rationally. You know, it's like, well, Johnny, if you liked it that much, why is it not a 10? Oh, come on, a 10? Like, Citizen Kane doesn't even get a 10. You know what I mean? Like, that's not an easy thing to do. 
uh, keeping in mind the genre and everything like that, I think a strong seven is very, very fair. Okay, and it, you know, like I said, we're leaning towards eight. It's a strong seven. But more importantly than anything like that, I think you go to this thing, especially with the right audience, with the right group, you're having a fantastic fucking time, well worth the ticket price. And speaking of having a fantastic time, that's something you can do by listening to any of the shows here on the new TNN podcast feed. We're talking about movies, wrestling, Dawson's Creek, it don't matter, you're going to have yourself a screaming good time. You see what I did there? But no, it was fun to talk about this. I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't plan on it. This is sort of off the cuff, you know, hence all my worry about using Junk Man to describe a movie I actually like. But, uh, you know, thanks for coming along on the ride. If you've seen the movie, uh, if you come this far, I'm sorry I spoiled it for you if you hadn't seen it. But I clearly told you there were going to be spoilers. Uh, but for all of us here at the new TNN, uh, which is only me, I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. It's a scream, baby! No, wait. It's gonna be a screamer! Is that from Scary Movie or Scream?